Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. The Democrats have been true to their word, every bit of it. They know what they want, they're laser focused on getting it, and they've not been quiet about it. It's time for us to start taking them at their word. Before I get into that, I want to make a couple of comments on what's becoming known as the GameStop Rebellion. If you haven't been paying attention to finance, this last year has been the largest transfer of wealth from the lower and middle classes to the ultra-wealthy in recorded history. The elites have taken this COVID debacle for all it's worth. Part of their strategy was to target vulnerable brick-and-mortar establishments that have been decimated by this illegitimate lockdown, drive their stock prices into the dirt, and make a killing in the process. The Balance has a really good, simple article on the basics of shorting stock. It's a relatively simple process on the surface. An investor borrows shares of stock from a broker and sells them, believing that the price of the stock is overvalued and will fall. Now, the investor has the money they gained from the sale of those shares. Ideally, for the investor, the price of the stock goes down. The investor buys up the same number of stocks they borrowed and sold and returns them to the broker, keeping the difference. I'll illustrate. If I borrow 40 shares of stock in Acme Anvil Incorporated because I believe it's overvalued, then I sell those shares for, say, $2,000. Then Wiley Coyote decides he's done trying to get Roadrunner and takes an office job, and the value of those shares drops from $2,000 to, like, $500. I buy up 40 shares for $500, return them to the broker, and pocket the $1,500 difference. Yay, I got some monies. The risk is that the stock price will rise rather than fall. If I've sold 40 shares for $2,000, I still have the liability of those 40 shares I owe to the broker. If the price rises and continues to rise, I'm on the hook for the difference. At some point, I have to cut my losses, buy the shares I need to return to the broker, and take the hit out of pocket. It's considered a normal part of trading, but there are things that hedge funds and large investors can do to target companies and manipulate stocks. Years ago, there was a huge movie called Wolf of Wall Street about a broker who made a killing in the market, based on a real guy named Jordan Belfort. Belfort was on Hannity recently, and he had this to say about the GameStop rebellion. Well, I think it's laughable for the hedge funds to cry foul after they do this every single day on a daily basis, manipulate stocks, box out the small investor. But let, let me be clear on one thing here. You know, shorting is a healthy part of the normal stock market, but that's not what went on with GameStop. There are different types of short sellers that attack companies and get overly short, ridiculously short, and that's what you're seeing happening. So shorting is necessary because it checks the market. But what you saw here is shorters who are like manipulating a stock downward to drive it out of business. It happens all the time. They're very devious how they do that. They plant articles, they start investigations, That's what happened here. That's the shorting that needs to stop. And in this case, the little guy, which is incredible to see, was able to get enough buying power to overcome the shorts 
and reverse it and create this incredible short squeeze. So people now do need to go to jail. I'll tell you this, who shut down this trading, if it turns out that they shut down trading at the behest of funds saying you need to slow down the buying, the, the, the level of, of criminality okay, there. But, but is there a chance? I have- now, why did I bring up the subject? We cannot play into the left's hands. Yes, the game has been rigged. Yes, that is a problem. Yes, it does need to be fixed. And yes, it is fun to watch average citizens stick it to corrupt elites. Having said that, we're in dangerous territory here. If we're not careful, this can easily devolve into Marxist-style class warfare. And that may be the point. If we go there, the communists have won. I mean, they're doing pretty well for themselves as it is, but if we give in to hate, they win outright. As a side note, We have to keep in mind that not all wealthy elites are corrupt. I consider Elon Musk a wealthy elite. I do not consider him corrupt. Let's be careful with this and keep an eye on the long game. Okay, back to the main topic. I've noticed something about dangerous political figures. You know how the movie villain always feels the need to tell you his whole plan? It seems that actually may be pretty true to life, except instead of waiting until the climax of the story, when the hero is chained and hanging over a shark pool, they tell you in the trailer. And then again in the opening credits. And then sometimes throughout the story. Hitler did it in Mein Kampf. Margaret Sanger did it in several of her books. Lenin did it prolifically through newspapers, pamphlets, and speeches. Klaus Schwab did it in his recent book COVID-19 and the Great Reset. Biden told us exactly what he has planned in his inaugural speech. And the Democrat Party generally has been screaming it at us through the media. The Democrats have been true to their word. They threaten speech. And now that they have power, they're following through. Dissenting views and ideas will not be tolerated. A meme creator named Ricky Vaughn has been indicted for voter disinformation and faces 10 years in prison for a meme from the Trump-Clinton election cycle. Just remember, that was more than four years ago now, and within a week of Biden's inauguration, it becomes a thing? Huh? From the Gateway Pundit, Ricky Vaughn, a.k.a. Douglas Mackey, used Twitter to post memes and troll Hillary Clinton during the 2016 presidential election cycle. 31-year-old Mackey was arrested in West Palm Beach on one charge of conspiracy against rights and faces up to 10 years in prison. The Eastern District of New York said in its indictment that one week before the 2016 election, Mackey tweeted an image of a black woman in front of an African-Americans for President Hillary sign. Emblazoned on the picture was the message, Avoid the line. Vote from home. Text Hillary to 59925. Vote for Hillary and be part of history. According to the complaint, more than 4,900 people cast their vote via text message. Almost 5,000 people attempted to weigh in on a matter of real national significance by text message, based on a picture they saw on the internet. I think that by itself is far scarier than any meme. It tells me that people allow memes to have far too much influence on their decision-making. Also important to note, a little under 5,000 people couldn't tell this was a joke, while tens of millions recognized it for what it was. Do we have to start putting warning labels on our internet jokes for the few, I'll say individuals, who couldn't be bothered to learn how our election process works? Based on this, there's going to be a small percentage of people who take online videos of stand-up comedy seriously. Should we indict the comics? Was the meme in poor taste? Sure. Since when did we jail people for a decade? for poor taste. I think I've brought up before the line from Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, where after a woman was sentenced to 25 years hard labor, a bystander asked her what she'd done. She replied that she'd done nothing at all. 
Nonsense, the bystander replied. The sentence for nothing at all is 10 years. Apparently the Biden administration has adopted the Soviet model. First they came for the fill-in-the-blank, but I was not a fill-in-the-blank. Then they came for the next fill-in-the-blank, but I was not one of them either. Eventually they got around to me, and I found myself alone and helpless. Or something like that. A quick internet search gave me a meme that has a photo of Biden leaning in uncomfortably close to a young girl, and she's leaning uncomfortably away from him. The meme caption says, I was going to call you, but I was worried your dad would pick up. Poor taste? Sure. Is this meme creator next on the chopping block? If we're going to start jailing people for poor taste, then whoever made the sculpture of a female cop squatting and peeing gets a life sentence. And let's not forget Miss Christina Wong, who also posted to Twitter, but she posted an instructional video. Tell me this isn't at least equally deceiving. Hey everybody, this is Christina Wong, and uh, I'm coming out. I'm a Trump supporter, and I just want to remind all my fellow Chinese Americans for Trump, people of color for Trump, to vote. Vote for Trump on Wednesday, November 9th. Really important day. We're going to show this country who's boss, and that's our man, Donald Trump. So don't forget to vote Donald Trump on November 9th. Somehow, Miss Wong is still walking free. It's not about truth. It's not about justice. It's about power. Ricky Vaughn's indictment is a message to dissenters. But wait, there's more. Oh, so much more. Employees in the executive branch are now banned from using language that implies the Chinese coronavirus came from China. From Newsweek. Within the first week of his presidency, Biden issued a memorandum effectively banning the use of phrases such as Chinese coronavirus, China virus, or Wuhan flu in the executive branch. President Biden declares in his memorandum, the federal government must recognize that it has played a role in furthering xenophobic sentiments through the actions of political leaders, including references to the COVID-19 pandemic by the geographic location of its origin. Since the onset of the pandemic, in addition to trying to create doubt about the coronavirus's origin, the CCP and its proxies have sought to deflect attention from their joint culpability by casting those, including our political leaders, who link China to the pandemic as racists. Biden already threatened federal employees if they don't submit to leftist ideology. Now he's banning specific, valid phrases. They're also going after dissenting journalists. Deputy White House Press Secretary T.J. Ducklow told Politico, Organizations or individuals who traffic in conspiracy theories, propaganda, and lies to spread disinformation will not be tolerated, and will work with the WHCA to decide how to handle those instances moving forward. I mean, that's reasonable, right? But wait just a moment. The Hunter Biden laptop scandal was a conspiracy theory. Until it wasn't. COVID originating in the Wuhan lab was a conspiracy theory. Until it wasn't. Burisma was a conspiracy theory. Until it wasn't. And if you want to kick out the conspiracy theorists, the Biden administration won't have any friends in that press room. The P-tape hoax would take out CNN, MSNBC, and CBS. And the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, the Very Fine People hoax, and the Fish Cleaner and Bleach hoaxes would clean out the rest. If they held to their own standards, there would be nothing but crickets in those press briefings. The point isn't to save us from disinformation. It's to do what every leftist regime has always had to do to retain power. Silence dissent. Lenin did it. Goebbels did it. Stalin did it. Mao did it. Pol Pot did it. Che Guevara and Fidel Castro did it. And more recently, we can add Maduro, Mugabe, and Xi Jinping to the list. For all the projecting they do onto the right, the left is a force of oppression. The moment that hits home for a critical mass of people, those people get very unhappy 
and they want things to change. That threatens the left's power. To retain power, they have to suppress opposing ideas, reports of their abuses, and most importantly, communication between dissenters. From legacy media to universities, to the White House and congressional press briefings, the left has been telling us for years they cannot abide the threat posed by freedom of speech. What else have the left been announcing they're going to do? How about destroy our nation through so-called climate initiatives? The New York Post reported, President Biden on Wednesday unveiled his environmental plan, a Green New Deal-like initiative aimed at putting climate change at the center of our domestic, national security, and foreign policy. Biden pitched the package of policy changes, including eliminating coal, oil, and natural gas as electricity sources by 2035, as a boon to the workforce. Patrick Morrissey, West Virginia's Republican Attorney General, said Wednesday that Biden's policies will be destructive to the economy, especially as it tries to recover from the coronavirus business. I think he's really kicking the American people when they're down, economically, and it's not a message of unity that he's been talking about, Morrissey said. Biden tried to overcome skepticism about the impact of his policy proposals on sectors that employ millions of people. Today is Climate Day at the White House, which means that today is Jobs Day at the White House, Biden said before signing an executive order. If solar and wind technologies were currently viable alternatives to fossil fuels, the market would have already picked them up and run with them. As it stands, solar panel use and to some extent wind are increasing, but at least until mass battery storage technology catches up, which can't be forced, Solar and wind remain a supplemental source of power and are not viable as primary sources. California has already started down this road. California still uses fossil fuels as a primary source of electricity generation, but leans so hard on solar, wind, and other green sources that rolling blackouts are a regular threat. As of 2019, 80% of California's energy came from fossil fuels, meaning that just a 20% reliance on so-called green sources is enough to jeopardize the grid. Do we really want that on a national scale? The technology just isn't there. Trying to force it won't accomplish anything good. The Daily Wire also reported on Biden's climate executive orders. Another promise, 1 million new jobs in the automobile industry. With today's executive order, combined with the Buy American executive order I signed on Monday, we're going to harness the purchasing power of the federal government to buy clean, zero-emission vehicles that are made and sourced by union workers right here in America. With everything I just mentioned, this will mean one million new jobs in the American automobile industry. One million! The Democrats are telling us what they're going to do. A million new jobs sounds amazing, doesn't it? Here's the rub. Where's the federal government going to get the money to buy those cars? From us. The only money they have is the money they take out of the economy, that they take from taxpayers. The government produces nothing. Every dollar they have, they've taken from American citizens. We're almost $30 trillion in debt, and the Democrats are going to implement a federally funded electric automobile industry with a million employees. That's a lot of taxpayer money to fund that. But we've been warned. They've told us what they're going to do. Back to the article. Another promise. We'll do another thing. We'll take steps toward my goal of achieving 100% carbon pollution-free electric sector by 2035. And no, I didn't miss any words in there. That's what he said. I just finished telling you the consequences of 20% in California. All green energy by 2035? Yay! Except you can't force the technology. Maybe by 2035 we're there. That would be amazing. But you don't make your kids drive before they can walk. You don't implement energy policy before the technology for it is available. 
and you don't sink the public treasury into it when the public treasury is in a $28 trillion hole. Yet, sense be damned, they're going full steam ahead with it. Brace for impact, we've been warned. They're very open about their goals. Another challenge they're blaming on the climate is their destruction of jobs. Their destruction of jobs. Everyone right now is focused on oil workers, coal workers, and the Keystone XL pipeline employees. But energy is the ability to do work. Any work. Everything we do requires energy. The lights in the office, the fuel to transport goods, the forklifts in a warehouse, the combines in the fields, all require energy. That energy has to come from somewhere. When the cost of that energy goes up, either because we've transitioned to more expensive means of energy production, or because policies are causing shortages in production and energy becomes more scarce and, therefore, more expensive, when the cost of that energy goes up, so does the cost of everything that relies on that energy. And at this point, that's everything. The cost of everything goes up when the cost of energy does. When costs go up, goods and services become more expensive, and businesses can't afford to pay as many employees. People lose jobs. I don't care how many jobs they believe they can create. The real number will have a negative sign in front of it. Talking about the new climate czar, John Kerry, Breitbart reported, Kerry made an appearance at a press briefing Wednesday to defend President Joe Biden's climate change plan and answer questions on coal and gas and oil development in the U.S. Kerry also blamed job losses in the oil and gas industry on market forces, while at the same time assuming those same laid-off workers could get jobs in clean energy. With respect to those workers, no two people are more, in this room, are more concerned about it. And the President of the United States has expressed in every comment he's made about climate the need to grow new jobs that pay better, that are cleaner, Kerry said. In response to this policy disaster, Representative Dan Crenshaw tweeted out, John Kerry, worth hundreds of millions, telling blue-collar workers to just go to work to make the solar panels. By the way, solar jobs will pay an average of $20,000 less than oil and gas jobs. John Kerry thinks you should just shut up and accept it. No. And Representative Dan Crenshaw is right. They talk big about killing fossil fuels, but come on. I mean, we're pretty entrenched, right? Oh no. They're doing it. U.S. News reported, Biden halts oil and gas leases, permits on U.S. land and water. The suspension, part of a broad review of programs at the Department of the Interior, went into effect immediately under an order signed Wednesday by Acting Interior Secretary Scott De La Vega. It follows Democrat President Joe Biden's campaign to pledge to halt new drilling in federal lands and end the leasing of public-owned energy reserves as part of his plan to address climate change. The order did not ban new drilling outright. It includes an exception giving a small number of senior interior officials the secretary, deputy secretary, solicitor, and several assistant secretaries, authority to approve actions that otherwise would be suspended. Tell me this doesn't sound like a setup to extort the fossil fuel industry. We're stopping all your work on federal land, but we could make an exception or two. Just saying. Take them at their word. They said they were going to kill fossil fuels and force green energy, even though the technology isn't there yet. They're doing it. One of the things they've said they're going to do, which I don't think most people understand the implications of, is make Washington, D.C. a state. There's a reason there's a D in D.C. It's a district, not a state, by design. The framers ensured no state could claim the seat of government. That's why the District of Columbia was carved out of both Maryland and Virginia. Fox News reports, Senator Tom Carper, D. Delaware, 
introduced legislation Wednesday to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. There's never been a time when statehood for the district was more likely, said D.C. Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton, who introduced companion legislation to the House and thanked Carper for his unending efforts for D.C. statehood. Here's what the Constitution has to say on the matter. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 is part of the enumerated powers delegated to Congress. It states, To exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square, as may by session of particular states and acceptance of Congress, become the seat of government of the United States. What does that mean? It means that the capital city was to be carved out of the states, plural, meaning it was to be placed on a border and carved out as a separate entity so neither state could claim it. It also means, more importantly, that Congress has exclusive legislative power, in all cases whatsoever, over the District of Columbia. I guess technically D.C. could become a state, but it would require a constitutional amendment. The Constitution itself states that the city was to be separate from the states and that Congress is to have exclusive legislative authority over it. Statehood would violate both of those points and, therefore, would require a constitutional amendment. Congress does not have the authority to circumvent the Constitution and give up their jurisdiction over D.C. any more than they can give up jurisdiction over any of their other constitutionally enumerated powers. But guess what? The left has said they're going to do it. And now, they have the power to follow through. They've also said they want to pack the courts. Don't get too hung up on the Supreme Court. There will be a solid battle for that. The real danger is packing the district and federal courts that no one is paying attention to. In another report from Politico, the Biden administration is moving forward with the creation of a bipartisan commission to study reforms to the Supreme Court and the federal judiciary. President Obama left something like 200 judicial seats open when he left office, leaving President Trump to fill them, which he did. Among other things, this swung the Ninth Circuit Court from hard-left nutty to a fingers-crossed question mark. Filling all these empty seats stripped the left of their stranglehold on the third branch. To reestablish their stranglehold, they want to expand the district and federal courts and fill the fabricated seats with leftist judges. The Blaze reported on Biden's court plans and included an exchange from 60 Minutes back in October. It's not about court packing, Biden claimed during a 60 Minutes interview. There's a number of things that our constitutional scholars have debated, and I've looked to see what recommendations that commission might make. Then, of course, there's the $15 an hour federal minimum wage that will cost a minimum of 1.3 million jobs by itself, not accounting for the fallout it will cause. NBC News reports, Democrats in Congress are looking to advance their long-standing goal of raising the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, introducing legislation Tuesday that would do so over five years. President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID relief plan also contains a provision to raise the federal minimum wage from the current level of $7.25 an hour to the $15 minimum. The president also signed an executive order last week telling the Department of Labor to develop recommendations on providing the $15 minimum wage to federal workers. They've been talking about it for a long time, and now they're doing it. This time, they're coming at it from several angles. That's the stuff they've been talking about, and they're doing now. Now for the fun stuff. What are they talking about now that they're planning next? Let's start with guns. That's always a good time. From the Washington Examiner, Steph Feldman, the national policy director of Biden's presidential campaign, included the Democrats' gun plan in a list of initial executive actions set to be unleashed after Inauguration Day. Speaking in a Zoom briefing hosted by Georgetown University's Institute of Politics and Public Service, she said that Biden is planning to make big, bold changes through executive action. 
not just on policing and climate like we talked about previously, but in healthcare and education, on gun violence, on a range of issues. She added that there's really a lot you can do through guidance and executive action. Because when all else fails, just sign a decree. And I love it when they use the word guidance. What it really means is edict through policy rather than through the more visible executive order route. And what does the official Joe Biden campaign website have to say on the matter? Joe Biden also knows how to make progress on reducing gun violence using executive action. After the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012, President Obama tasked Vice President Biden with developing both legislative proposals and executive actions to make our communities safer. As a result of this effort, the Obama-Biden administration took more than two dozen actions. Painting the American people into a corner. Yes, you have Second Amendment rights, but those rights only extend as far as I say they do. When Congress won't play ball, I'll declare myself king and paint that corner tighter. Hold gun manufacturers accountable. In 2005, then-Senator Biden voted against the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, but gun manufacturers successfully lobbied Congress to secure its passage. The law protects these manufacturers from being held civilly liable for their products, a protection granted to no other industry. Biden will prioritize repealing this protection. Pretty sure I covered this one early on. No industry is held accountable for people willfully misusing their products. If you hold gun manufacturers liable for what people do with their products, then you're going to have to hold kitchen knife manufacturers liable. Hammer manufacturers. The water company. Louisville sluggers are going down. Liability on this one is going to get ugly. His idea of accountability is really a de facto gun ban. If it's too expensive to continue doing business, no more business. Apply that to an entire industry. No more industry. If you think they kill gun manufacturing and don't come for everyone's guns, you're kidding yourself. The death of the gun industry is right on his website. They're telling us what they're going to do. Get weapons of war off our streets. The ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines that Biden, along with Senator Feinstein, secured in 1994. And federal law prevents hunters from hunting migratory game birds with more than three shells in their shotgun. That means our federal law does more to protect ducks than children. First off, this is disingenuous. It's not only entirely false, it's also a logical fallacy. He's claiming that because we don't restrict all guns to three rounds, that we're protecting ducks more than children. Does your state have a children's season? What's the bag limit for kids where you live? What this does give us is some insight into the kinds of numbers he's working with. This next one is a stepping stone. End the online sale of firearms and ammunition. Biden will enact legislation to prohibit all online sale of firearms, ammunition, kits, and gun parts. Now, something to understand starting out. You cannot buy a gun online in the United States and have it shipped to your door. It doesn't happen. It has to go through a federally licensed firearm dealer regardless. Okay? Any gun you buy online in the store has to go through an FFL. As for ammunition, they already did that in California. It limits you to the stock available at your local retailer. End result? Most of the time, you can't get the ammo you need. Extend that to kits and gun parts, and all of a sudden, there's not much you can do if your local retailer doesn't stock every little thing you need. Have I already used the word de facto? This next part is a twofer. Reinstate the Obama-Biden policy to keep guns out of the hands of certain people unable to manage their affairs for mental reasons 
which President Trump reversed, and create an effective program to ensure individuals who become prohibited from possessing firearms relinquish their weapons. So, this refers to an Obama-era policy that used the VA and health data, which Obamacare gave the federal government full access to, to take guns from people. The policy was written intentionally vague, including references to unspecified condition or disease. According to a 2015 article by The Daily Caller, VA sends veterans medical info to FBI to get their guns taken away. They reported on an official memorandum between the VA and the FBI. VA will provide an encrypted compact disc exchanged via mail to the FBI no less than quarterly for inter-alia inclusion in the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, NICS, the memo reads. The memo defines the NICS database as a list of persons prohibited under federal law from receiving or possessing firearms. And in 2016, the Independent Sentinel reported this, 260,000 vets stripped of their gun rights with a single VA gun regulation. If veterans need help doing paperwork, they lose their rights. Any veteran who is assigned a fiduciary trustee to act on their behalf is automatically declared mentally defective and is reported to NICS, the database federal firearms licensees use to determine whether a prospective buyer is eligible to buy guns. Now, just like everything else they propose, sounds reasonable on the surface if you don't actually think about it. But then... What do they end up doing with it? Back to the article. As of December 2015, the VA has reported 260,381 individuals to the FBI, effectively making them prohibited firearms possessors under the law. A similar standard has been proposed by the Social Security Administration to strip gun rights from as many as 75,000 beneficiaries per year, according to figures released by the White House in January. This is real, and until the Trump administration ended it, It was happening to real people. Remember, sometimes the left's ideas sound pretty good on the surface, if you don't actually think about it. But when they come into practice, the consequences are devastating. Back to the Daily Caller article earlier, a VA counselor named Dr. Blair says, How are you handling your finances? Veteran Henry Roble of Canton, Texas told the DC. I said, my wife suggested to make it a little bit easier for me, Maybe to use the auto debit instead of going to the post office, because it's hard for me to drive. With injuries including two made-up thumbs resulting from 12 hand surgeries, a wired-on shoulder, and other ailments. I told him it's working very well, Robles said. The counselor wrote down that I was unable to handle my own finances and that his wife handles his finances. I got a letter saying that because I can't handle my finances, I'm like a felon and I can't be around guns. I had a pistol permit in Connecticut at 21. The only things against me are one speeding ticket and two parking tickets. My constitutional rights, my dignity, means nothing to the counselor, Robles said. I have no crimes whatsoever against me, and now I'm stripped of my constitutional right as though I'm a felon. All it took was scratching a pen on some paper from some bureaucrat in some office, and poof. Michael Connolly, executive director of the United States Justice Foundation, told the D.C., In fact... There is no adjudication process for the veterans, and it is clear that the FBI and VA are equating not paying one's bills on time with mental illness. Some of the veterans we represent have been put on the list simply because they let their spouses pay the family bills, or even have the bills paid automatically every month by the bank, said Connolly, who flagged the documents provided to the D.C. for this report. So, auto pay gets you disqualified from owning firearms? Yes. 
The left is that evil. Back to the article, and continuing the quote from Connolly. There is a total lack of due process here, and it is never mentioned in the memo. The burden of proof is on the veterans, and even if they succeed in getting the incompetency ruling reversed, the VA is apparently not informing the DOJ of that, so the veterans stay on the NICS list. Some veterans say they have sent the info to the FBI that still refuses to move them from the list. This is what Biden has promised to reinstate. First they came for the... then you get it by now. All right, let's take a look at their plan for climate justice. I'll make this one quick. It's from the Daily Wire, and the headline pretty much tells the story. Biden Energy Secretary nominee. Some jobs may have to be sacrificed to climate agenda. Need I elaborate? I think not. Take them at their word. Re-education. Take the left at their word. Take them at their word. Take them at their word. Take them at their word. They're not playing with this. And don't get caught up in the idea of internment camps or gulags. It can be much simpler than that. David Atkins, the top Democrat in California, tweeted out, No, seriously, how do you deprogram 75 million people? Where do you start? Fox? Facebook? We have to start thinking in terms of post-World War II Germany or Japan, or the failures of Reconstruction in the South. This is not your standard partisan policy disagreement. This is a conspiracy theory-fueled belligerent death cult against reality and basic decency. The only actual policy debates of note are happening within the Dem coalition between left and center-left. Might I remind everyone that the failures of Reconstruction in the South was the Democrats. They're the ones who had an issue. Um, none of that's really changed much. Then there was Katie Couric, renowned journalist and news personality, from Fox News. Couric, best known as the longtime co-anchor of NBC's Today and for a five-year run in the anchor chair on the CBS Evening News, raised eyebrows when she blasted the GOP's support for President Trump amid his second impeachment battle. I mean, it's really bizarre, isn't it? When you think about how AWOL so many of the members of Congress have gotten, but I also think that some of them are believing the garbage that they're being fed 24-7 on the internet by their constituents, and they bought into this big lie. And the question is, how are we going to really almost deprogram these people who have signed up for the cult of Trump? Cornell Law Professor and media critic William A. Jacobson told Fox News that Threats of deprogramming Trump supporters have become common among liberal journalists. Like I said, when the topic of re-education comes up, don't get too hung up on gulags. That's certainly one version, but that would require a level of control the left is nowhere near obtaining, at least not for 75 million armed Americans. They've been working on this one for a long time, and they've finally come into their own. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time evidencing that our schools and universities are largely re-education camps. But here's something from another Fox News article. This fall, tens of thousands of bright-eyed and malleable young men and women will descend on American campuses to begin their academic careers in earnest. Most of them will face what we used to call freshman orientation. More than anything, though, it's looking more and more like indoctrination. One of the main components of many of these orientations is diversity, or sensitivity training. Attendance is usually mandatory and often tax-funded. Students will watch films and participate in exercises designed to shake the values they acquired from their culture and families. Two of the most important diversity training films are Blue-Eyed and Deep Skin. The 90-minute Blue-Eyed documents an experiment conducted by Jane Elliott, a $6,000 a day sensitivity trainer. In it, a group of 40 people are divided into blue-eyed and brown-eyed people. 
The former are psychologically brutalized. The latter are psychologically empowered, as a lesson in white racism. Hugh Vasquez's Skin Deep documents a workshop on race. One section of the accompanying study guide, entitled White Privilege, declares that white privilege controls all power in society and that white males must assume their guilt. In an article entitled Thought Reform 101, Reason, March 2000, Alan Charles Coors, co-founder of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, explicitly compares this diversity training to communist re-education camps. It is a comparison worth pursuing. In Blue-Eyed, Elliot tells a white male, whom she has humiliated into submission, that what I just did today, Newt Gingrich is doing to you every day, and you are submitting to that, submitting to oppression. Elliot explains her goal. A new reality is going to be created for these people. That's the nuttiest part. They really believe in what they're doing. What's the old phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? This is what happens when we fail to respect free will and diversity of thought. This is also what happens when we reach such an unprecedented level of comfort, when we start running so low on real problems, that we have to start fabricating them. I've even seen it snuck into English language textbooks, not to mention the new anti-Semitic ethnic studies curriculum California just rolled out. I think re-education is already here. The devil didn't come to Eve as a raging elephant. He came as a subtle snake. The programs are already in place. They're just calling for it to be expanded to the 75 million Americans they haven't been able to reach yet. Finally, the Great Reset. The World Economic Forum has called for a Great Reset. Their slogan for the endeavor? Build back better. Where else have we heard that? Oh yeah, Trudeau in Canada. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister of the UK. The United Nations has adopted it. As has our very own Joseph Biden. What is the Great Reset? In simplest terms, elites own everything, and you rent it from them. The World Economic Forum published a video in which they told us that we would own nothing, and we'd be happy about it. From the architect of the Great Reset, Klaus Schwab. Hat tip, Sky News Australia. The fourth industrial revolution will impact our lives completely. It will not only change how we communicate, how we produce, how we consume, it will change actually us, our own identity, which of course gives life uh, to such uh, policies and uh, developments like uh, smart traffic, smart government, smart cities. What we will see is that uh, everything will be integrated into an ecosystem driven by big data and uh, driven uh, particularly by close cooperation also of governments uh, with um, uh, business, civil society. And this revolution will come at a breathtaking speed. It will be like a tsunami. Big data driving your comforts, your cities, your government. Everything integrated into a big data ecosystem, driven by close cooperation between governments and corporations. And it will come at breathtaking speed. Sounds like a wild hair that could never actually happen, right? From Red State, host Borg Brenda, president of the World Economic Forum. Are we expecting too much too soon from the new president, or is he going to deliver first day on this topic? Kerry responds by thanking the host and says this, The answer to your question is, no, you're not expecting too much. And yes, it, the Great Reset, will happen. And I think it will happen with greater speed and with greater intensity than a lot of people might imagine. This is your new climate czar, possibly the most powerful man on Biden's staff. The left is telling us what they're going to do, 
They're not subtle either. They're almost screaming it at us. They have been for a while. All we have to do is take them seriously. Take them at their word. Take them at their word. Take them at their word. We have to strengthen the states. We have to shore up our state constitutions to preserve the federal constitution, at least within our state borders, to hold firm against federal overreach, and to prevent the state governments from being turned as well. We have to strengthen the bonds in our families. They will be the people we turn to and come together with when things get difficult. When things go bad, they go bad fast. In hindsight, the signs were always there, long in advance. How did we miss them? In hindsight. We tend to disbelieve the dangers or problems until they hit us where we live. Sometimes I think we don't want our comfortable lives disrupted. Sometimes I think people genuinely believe, or make themselves believe, that truly terrible things only happen to other people. Sometimes I think that people are just grossly and miserably uninformed. The time to create defensible landscape is not when the wildfire is burning your neighbor's house. It's at the beginning of summer. The time to evacuate the path of a hurricane is not when the trees in the yard start blowing over. It's when the storm is still miles out to sea. Those analogies are easier to come to terms with because they happen regularly. Perhaps a better analogy would be an earthquake. A given fault line will pop, what, maybe once in a lifetime? More likely once every hundred or few hundred years? You don't think about the flat pack bookshelf that's really not that sturdy, the glass in the pictures that aren't really secured to the wall, the stuff in the top of the closet that's just piled up. Then suddenly, things start to shake and you're hit in the head by a heavy box from the top of the closet or the unsecured bookshelf comes down on top of you. You always knew you lived in wildfire country, or hurricane territory, or near an overdue fault line. But what could possibly go wrong while the sun is shining? Things are good. Things are comfortable. All is well. And we lull ourselves into a false sense of security. It's a lot of work to remove a dead tree. But after the winds and rains come, it's a lot more work to remove the dead tree and fix the house. There's a lot of ground to cover, but there is a lot we can do. Next time I'll be revisiting Recall Gavin 2020 and why it matters just as much to people outside California as it does to residents in the state. All right, I'm going to leave it there. As always, you can find me on Twitter, at RealIntoTheFray. With Parlor down and Twitter losing their ever-loving mind, you can now find me on Gab, at RealIntoTheFray as well. Till next time, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. (music) 